All right. Uh, well, man, like Brandon said, we're so glad that all you guys are here. And I know it's awesome. Every week we have uh, folks visiting us. And if I didn't get a chance to say hey to you at the door, my name is Peter, one of the guys on staff. So we're glad you're here. And we really do. We don't want to stalk anybody. I say that all the time when I meet people <clears throat> who have visited for the first time and are leaving, right? We don't stalk you. We're not going to like chase you to your car with a piece of paper to give you your, your text number. But we do want to be helpful to you. If you're looking for uh, information <clears throat> about a church or what we do or how you can get plugged in. And so again, like you said, if you got a phone, that QR code little dealio in front of you is a great way to get on our, our connection card. Or when you get home, jump on the website. Um, but we'd, you, you, we'd love to let you know what's going on here at Calvary. We'd love to help you be part of that. And so um, if we have your contact info, it's an easier way to kind of start that conversation and see how we might be helpful to you. So thanks for, for coming. I've planted, been part of planting two churches in my life, and I feel like I'm replanting a third here at Calvary. And this is what, this is what you say when you're planting a church. When one service starts to get full in person and the other service is not quite as full, what we let you know about is we have amazing space for you in the nine o'clock service. If you'd like to come, um, we got space there, two identical services. Uh, we still got capacity in here, so we're not running anybody out. But do want to let you know that if you'd like a little more space or just uh, that interested you, we have that service. Um, it's cool that online viewers, thanks for being here. We're encouraged that, you know, we're, we're watching about a 30% or so increase in online, and we're watching folks come back. And it's just a really interesting season, but just grateful that whether it's virtually or in person, man, we can try to follow Jesus together and figure out what that looks like. So <clears throat> glad you're here. This is crazy to me because way back in January, when you start talking about March, March sounds so far away. Tomorrow is March 1st, if I've done my 30 days, half September, April, um, and here's why that's important because back in January, we shared with you some news about the Darlings, Dan and Kathy Darling. Dan's been our executive pastor here for several years, uh, 40 plus years of ministry, and in mid-March, he's retiring, and they're transitioning down to Florida to be close to Dan's uh, mother and uh, stepdad and stuff. But here's the deal. Back in January, that sounded really far away. Well, guess what? Mid-March is like in two weeks. And so I say that to let you know that next Sunday is going to be Dan and Kathy's last Sunday, and then they'll be uh, driving south in the week or so after that. Uh, so we're going to have a time for those of you who know the darlings and who have been impacted by their service and uh, their investing in your life for you to thank them. And so after both services, we'll have an opportunity outside in a socially distanced way for folks to come and just share, you know, a minute or two of thanks and uh, just uh, wishing them the best as they go to this next season. If you'd love to give them a card or some sort of token, we sent out an email to folks about different ways you might be able to honor them through that. And you can drop them off at the church office this week or just bring them next Sunday if you'd like to do that. So I wanted to let you know about those, the, that opportunity next week as well. So we're going to jump into it. God's got some stuff for us. Like Brandon said, whenever you open up his word, he, God says that his word is like rain that accomplishes the purposes and brings water every time it's opened up. And so I've got nothing to offer you guys except the opportunity to help walk us through God's word. I'm looking forward to how that might shape my life and perhaps shape your story here this morning. So let me pray and then we'll jump into it. Father, uh, we are grateful. We're grateful for the opportunity just to be together in a church community. We're grateful for technology that lets us... Um, uh, share your word and your truth with people online. We're grateful that we can be together in one room as well, worshiping you. We're grateful for 
people, Father, who Calvary has been part of their story for many years and for new people that you are bringing to Calvary Church. Um, and we just appreciate the opportunity to serve folks wherever they are in their story. We open up your word today, Father, and we deal with truths that are still relevant today. And so I pray you'll help us as we think about these things and help them to shape our life and to shape our trust in you. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen. <clears throat> well, like the bumper little graphic behind me says, we're still in our narrative series, like Brandon said, and what we're doing is we're, man, we're spending months walking through the whole Old Testament. We're looking at different Old Testament stories and different Old Testament characters, and we're thinking about how do those stories and how do those characters build and shape this larger narrative of the Old Testament. And so if you're here, if you're jumping in online, if you're an Old Testament scholar, you'll get reaffirmed in what you know. If you're like, bro, I don't understand anything about it. I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. New Testament, I kind of understand. Old Testament, I don't get it. Man, we would love for you to kind of walk this path with us as together we try to figure out how all these stories fit together. If you're not a Christian, if you're like, I don't understand, the, this is still a great opportunity for you to be part of of the journey of at least learning what another faith tradition or another group of people believe that may not yet be or may not be what you believe, but at least you're able to assess what the story is that you think you don't want to be part of. And so for whoever you are, I'm really excited about this, excited about all the things I've been learning, the things we've been able to learn together. And here's where we've been so far. We've seen different characters since we've gone, right? And eventually... This list, we're going to need like a mega screen. We're going to need like a massive screen to get this. It's going to Scott Times Square, right? But so far, we've seen Adam and Eve. We've seen this dude named Noah. We've talked about the guy Abraham. And then he's kind of the patriarch. And we started walking through his family tree and his son Isaac. And then we saw his grandson. And today, we're going to talk about his great-great-grandson. But so far together, you and I, we've walked through these different names. And it's not only the names of people that we've walked through, but together you and I have seen two different theological truths, right? Part of this is what do we learn about the people in the story, but what do we learn about theology? What do we learn about beliefs just about God? We've seen the theology in Genesis 3 about the fall and the way that sin entered the world and the way we got into this mess. And then we've seen theology about something called the Abrahamic covenant, right? This, this, this promise of the way that God's going to restore things and fix things. And through all that, through the names we've seen, through the fall, through the Abrahamic covenant, perhaps you've had some questions. And it's been a one-way talking head to you, and you're like, whoa, 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 I don't really understand that, I don't understand this. And so one of the things we said we wanted to do is to create a space as we're kind of pivoting in different things. But man, we want to create a way that if you have questions about what we've talked about, that we can answer those questions. And so on March 14th, we're going to have a way both in person and for the folks who are joining us virtually that day. For you, we're going to have a shorter sermon, and then we're just going to kind of open up the floor. And if you've had any questions about what we've talked about so far uh, we want to give you a chance to ask those, and we'll have a moderator next to me to kind of moderate some of the chat that's coming in from the online folks, and we'll have a mic for you guys to ask questions. That is not the time, like I said, to play stump the pastor. That's really important, right? <clears throat> if you have questions about what we've talked about, if you ask me, was there an asteroid that killed the dinosaurs, and what was the name of that asteroid, like, or like the most, it's not stump the pastor. It's a helpful time to try to not just have a one-way talking head, but to engage and have discussion. That's what's coming up in a few weeks. But the question is, 
well, what are we going to do today, right? If that's coming up March 14th, what are we doing this day before we get to March? And so here's what we're doing for the next two Sundays. We're going to be looking at uh, the next character down the family tree and that we'll be studying. And we're looking at a guy named Joseph. Joseph. Two weeks in the story of Joseph. We're going to start that today. And as we do, we're going to read a lot of the story. And then we're just going to kind of um, <clears throat> pull some questions out of the story. As we read what happened, we're going to try and answer some questions out of the story. And so he- here's uh, the first question that we're going to answer. The first question is this, okay, what is Joseph's, what is the role of Joseph's narrative in the larger story, right? What is the role of Joseph's story in the larger story? And so we got this little chart here, and, and here's the deal. Back in Abraham, in the Abrahamic covenant, the Jewish people, you might remember, were promised some land. They were promised some land. And here's the spoiler alert, okay? Like, if you don't want to know the spoiler, if you don't know what's going to happen in a few weeks, eventually they're going to move into their land. But before they move into their land, here's another spoiler alert, they're going to be slaves in another land, right? So there's a promise of land. One day they're going to enter that land. Before they enter that land, they're going to be slaves in another land. And the Joseph story... Part of what it does is it helps explain the plot movement, the movement from, man, they're promised land, everything's good, then they enter their land, but before that, they're slaves in the land, how did they get there? Have you ever been watching a movie or binging something on Netflix, and there's a little person playing with a puppy in a field, and you're like, okay, they're going to play with a puppy for a little bit, and you think to yourself, I could really use some ice cream right now. So you get up, you go to the kitchen, you grab you some friendlies, homemade vanilla, you get an Oreo or two, you're like, okay, I'm ready, let me go back and see him playing with a puppy in the field. And you go back to that Netflix show, and the person who was playing with a puppy in the field is now like in an airplane 40,000 feet in the air without a parachute and handcuffs. And you're like, whoa, I missed something, right? Like, what happened in the story to move them from playing with a puppy to airplane, handcuffs, no parachute? Well... The Joseph story helps explain how did they get here, right? But the Joseph story not only helps move the plot and explain the plot, the Joseph story does something else. It it reveals to you and to me, kind of introduces this truth about God and about what he does and about how he works that we're going to kind of see throughout the rest of the Old Testament. It, it moves the story around. The second thing that Joseph does, story does is introduce this attribute, this character trait about God that we're going to talk about later. So let's move into the story. Let's start reading it. Let's see what it says. And so Genesis chapter 37, if you've got a device, we're going to read a lot of chunks of text at a time. I know there's one person right now who's like, I hate the word chunks. Why did you have to say that? We're going to read large segments of text at a time. So if you got a device, uh, you can track along. But let's move into the story. Here's how the story begins. Jacob, the guy we talked about last week, Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. And these are the generations of Jacob. And now what the story's telling us is, okay, we're, we're moving down the family tree. We're getting to the next big character, Joseph, being 17 years old, Old boy just got his license to drive his camel, right? He's got his learner's permit for his camel driving. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. 
Now Israel, and, and you're going to see Jacob also has this name Israel. So whenever you read Israel, it's Jacob. I'm just going to read Jacob, not get confusing. Now Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved Joseph more than all his brothers, they hated him and they could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to them, are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and he told it to his brothers and he said, Behold, I've dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars were banged down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Here's the question that arises at this point in the story, and it's an important one. Here, here's the next question that arises. How do we view Joseph at this point in the story? Here's why that's an important question. If you've ever read anything about Joseph, or maybe in the past you've heard stories about Joseph, or you go home from now and you read about him and you hear another sermon, you read a, a book about him, a different series, there is a split among pastors, writers, authors, scholars about how you view Joseph at this point. And there's this, this group of pastors who the, they say, man, the way that you view Joseph in these first 11 chapters is he was a spoiled brat, right? Old boy's a tattletale. His, his brothers are messing around and dude runs to his dad and rats them out. Then he's like, he, he knows he's the favored child and he rubs that in their face. Then he keeps telling them how he's going to be most important. And some scholars, some pastors are going to kind of say, man, he was a spoiled brat. He was a tattletale. He flaunts it. But then on the other end, there's going to be people who say, no, Joseph is the example of a godly 17-year-old boy. Maybe a little naive, maybe a little immature, but he's innocent and he's just excited about what God's doing in his life. And these people are going to say, those people are wrong. And those people are going to say, those people are wrong. But, but here's the question. The text, the person who wrote it, the narrator of this true story, he, he doesn't yet tell us how we're to understand Joseph. It's ambiguous. It can be understood either way. And maybe the narrator at this point in the beginning of the story, maybe the reason he hasn't nailed down specifically how to understand him is because you know what? He's trying to get us to realize from the very beginning of Joseph's story that guess what? <clears throat> Joseph's story isn't ultimately about Joseph. The point of Joseph's story, what he may be trying to get us to realize is it's not about how in the beginning of the story we understand Joseph's character. But man, we got to get our eyes to, we got to be looking at, we got to be focusing on the God who's going to shape and going to form Joseph's character. So you see, I think what the author is trying to do in his either way is saying, let's make sure we're starting with understanding the right character in the story. You know who the main character is of the entire Old Testament? You know who the main character is of every story in the Old Testament? It's God. It's God. And so sometimes 
what we do is we read a story and we got to hold these things in tension. We, we read a story and we're like, I want to grow up and be like Abraham, right? Or I want to be a leader like David. So let's, uh, there are principles that we can draw from these guys' lives. There's wisdom we can take. There's applications. But the point of these stories is not ultimately that we should try to grow up to be just like that. If you grow up to be just like them, you're going to be in a heap of trouble, by the way. Just FYI. Maybe the point of the story is, man, we want to understand the God who was faithful to them and good to them and led them. And we want to grow up to have a faith that's stronger in that God. So just a few applications, two quick thoughts on that. When we're reading the stories, just be very careful knowing that the ultimate purpose of all the stories we're going to read from here on in is not to model our lives exactly like these people. Again, is it bad to draw principles? No. But that's not the ultimate point of the story. The ultimate point of the story is about God. And so one thing that I always, not always, one thing that I often do when I'm in my old, own time walking through a character in the Old Testament is I got my journal from Staples and I got my fountain pen, which is really cheap, low-end fountain pen from Amazon that I love. Have I told you about my fountain pen? I don't think I've told you enough. I, I confessed something in the first service, so I'm going to confess it to you. I really feel bad about this, but it's true, I do it. I use my fountain pen, I write my notes here at the office, and, uh, and then do you know what I do? Like when I run out to lunch or I run an errand, I hide it. <laughs> because I don't want like anybody coming into my office using my fountain pen to leave me a note. I know, I'm a shallow, shallow person. My wife is like looking at me like, you should have skipped over that part. But this is what I do. <clears throat> when I'm reading the Old Testament with my fountain pen on my journal, I'll literally draw a box and I'll say, what does this story teach me about God? What does, this, not what, what does this story teach me about God? And I would just encourage you in your own time, when you're reading these stories of these characters, we walk through them together, let's keep our focus on what does it teach me about God? Up to this point, it's been a little ambiguous. It's been a little unclear about how to understand Joseph. But going forward, the narrator is going to kind of put a flag in the ground, and he's going to make clear from this point on He's going to let us know that Joseph, in his subsequent actions, is faithful, is obedient, right, is honorable, does what he's supposed to do. So let's see an example where the narrator now starts to tell us about Joseph's obedience. Here's what we see in verse 12, right? So, now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. We got a map. I think this is the second time a map is popping up in our <clears throat> series so far. This is relatively close to modern-day world, okay? Here's Israel. A lot of the narratives in these stories that we're going to see takes place in Israel next week or two, a couple of weeks we're going to be in Egypt, okay? But here's Turkey, here's Greece, okay, modern-day. I just want to kind of let us know where are we landing and focus on Israel because here's what we're going to see. Next slide, right? Here is what the map was like back in that day. And in the day close to around we're reading, these are where different tribes and different people groups were trying to hang out. Here's still Egypt. Here's Turkey, modern-day Turkey. Over here is Greece. Here is modern-day Israel. And what we see is we see this word Shechem. Shechem, right? <clears throat> the deal is that uh, Joseph's dad had some land, some pastures up there in Shechem, the uh, Joseph, right now in the story, is hanging out in Hebron. It's about a 60-mile or so trek up to Shechem. 
The brothers are in Shechem. They're hanging out on daddy's ranch up there. And then look what happens next in the story. His brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Jacob said to Joseph, are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And then look how Joseph responds. Joseph responds, and he said, here I am, right? Obedient, ready to serve, ready to be faithful, ready to do what his dad wants him to do. So he said to him, Jacob said to Joseph, so Jacob said to Joseph, go now and see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron and he came to Shechem and a man found him wandering the fields and the man asked him, what are you seeking? I'm seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me please, where are they pasturing the flock? And the man said, they have gone away for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. That's not Dothan, Alabama. Probably nobody in the room even knows there's a Dothan, Alabama. If there is a Dothan, Alabama, it would be a very long boat ride from Hebron, okay? So I heard him say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. Joseph was being obedient in doing what his dad said. He was being faithful in doing what his dad said. He was doing exactly what he was supposed to do. And the question becomes, what happens? What happens? They saw him from afar. And before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Now the pits in that day, these are these big wells that they would dig out of the desert sand, the area, to try to fill them with water, right? So pit, imagine really, really deep well. They said, come let us kill him and throw him into one of those pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, but instead throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hands to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore. And they took him and they threw him into the pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat, kind of random, right? Okay, you just like wrecked your brother's life and you're going to open up your big, you know, fisherman jig sandwich or your Big Mac and fries or whatever. Then they sat down to eat. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said to his brothers, yeah, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, Let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. You might remember a few weeks ago, we talked about Isaac and his brother Ishmael. And we said, we're going to hear about the Ishmaelites later. He said, come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and let our hand not be upon him for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then the Midianite traders, Midianite and Ishmaelites are interchangeable because they ended up living close to the same region. And so they kind of swapped titles. Then the Midianite, Ishmaelite traders passed by and they drew Joseph up. And lifted him out of the pit. And they sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. Joseph, all he did to get to that spot, and this point in the story, he obeyed his dad. He did what his dad told him to do. He didn't make any snarky comments. He, didn't, he was faithful. And, and as we kind of think about the questions we're going to pull, the next question we're going to think about is, okay, what can we practically learn from this? And here's the first thing that we can practically, practically learn to this, that in life, there are times when faithful 
obedience can lead to unfair persecution. Faithful obedience can lead to unfair persecution. There will be moments in your life, there will be moments in our life when we do exactly what God wants us to do. We act exactly the way God wants us to act. We conduct ourselves exactly the way that God wants us to conduct ourselves. We're in a particular place and we're in that place because we've done nothing but be faithful to God. But you know what? In that place and in that space, we get unfair persecution. We have something happened to us that isn't just. <clears throat> we're criticized. We're spoken ill of. And we're exactly in that place because we've done nothing but what God wanted us to to do. Here's the reality that we know we can pull this from Joseph's story, but we don't even know Joseph's story, need Joseph's story, because we can pull this from our own story. That, that we all have the choice to control and to decide how we're going to act. And we can choose to act in an honorable, obedient way, but you know what happens after that? We can't control how other people are going to respond to it. We can't control how other people are going to respond to it. And sometimes people are going to respond with unfair persecution, with criticism, with gossip, with assumptions, and we've done everything right. And the challenge in that moment, right, if, we, if that's the reality, and, and here's the challenge for you and me. You know what the challenge for you and me is? Act obediently. Act obediently. Because if we act obediently, <clears throat> this criticism, that persecution, it, it's going to hurt. It's going to sting. But the good news at night when we brush our teeth and look in the mirror, we can still look in the mirror and look at ourselves in the eye because we know that we acted with integrity and we know that we don't deserve this. It's a whole lot worse to act disobediently, to act unfaithfully, and to face criticism and to face persecution and to face gossip and to know like, man, I kind of brought this on myself because I didn't act the way that I should act. The criticism, no matter when you face it, is going to sting. But when you're obedient, when you're faithful, you know before God you're right. You're okay. Now, Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, like this is a reality. It was a reality for Joseph. It's going to be a reality throughout the Old Testament. It's a reality in the New Testament. And Peter kind of offers, one of Jesus' disciples, he authored this letter inspired by God. And he comments upon how we should act in moments when we face this unfair persecution. When this is our story, what do we do? And I'm just going to read two verses. They're not going to be on the screen. But if you've ever been there, if you're there now, or when you will be there, I'd encourage you to scribble these passages down. The first is 1 Peter 3, verses 14 through 17. And then the next one's going to be a chapter over, 1 Peter 4, verses 14 through 16. Here's what 1 Peter 3, verses 14 through 17 say about this. It says this, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, right? Even if this is your story, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. And then I love this. Then what Peter's going to do is tell us how to respond to this. 
How do we respond to these people? And he says this, being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that you have. In other words, how can you go through this with hope? What's the reason for that? But then look what he says about the tone. He says this. I know it's not on the screen, so I guess you have to listen to what it says about the tone. Be prepared to make a response, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Do it with gentleness and respect. This is going to happen. We can't control that. We can't control what other people do. But when other people do this, we still have control in that moment about how we're going to respond to them. And what Peter says is in that moment, you know how you respond? You respond with gentleness and with respect. Does that define and capture the way that I respond to people when I'm unfairly criticized? And then he continues, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, I love that. It doesn't say so that if you're slandered, so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. When this happens, he says, you still act with gentleness. You still act with respect. You still act properly so that you don't give your enemies any more ammunition against you, right? So they have nothing to hold against you for it's better to suffer for doing good if that is God's will than for doing evil. Next chapter over, Peter revisits this. Chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. If you are insulted for the name of Christ... You're faithful, you're obedient, you get unfair persecution, you're insulted because of your obedience and your choices. You are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And then I love it, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer as a meddler, right? In other words, don't be getting the persecution because you're a knucklehead. Don't be getting it because you're disobeying and you're sin, right? Be obedient. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God in that name. And then skipping down to verse 19, and maybe this is the one, if you're going to cling to one, there's this one. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Therefore, let those who suffer for doing good according according to God's will and trust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. See, sometimes we compound our pain because this happens and it's not fair. And so we get over here and we're like, you know what? <clears throat> I'm going to stick it to them. I'm going to gossip about them. I'm going to tear them down. I'm going to destroy them because they're destroying me. And we end up doing bad. And what Joseph shows in the story, what Peter picks up on is this is going to happen You can't control it. You can control this, and you can control what happens after that and still keep obeying and trust God and do good and be gentle and be respectful because Jesus knows. Jesus knows. How does the story continue? These guys have finished up uh, their Big Macs, Joseph, his life has changed. 17-year-old boy who was just trying to help his dad is now essentially a, a slave. He was in a pit. He's now a slave. 
He's in this caravan going to this other country way down here. So what happens next in the story and what can we see? Well, here's how the story continues. So they, they sold him. And then we see this in verse 29. When Reuben returned to the pit, who knows where he went, but he's back. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, the boy is gone. And where shall I go? What he's saying is, okay, dudes, what do we do now? Like we messed up. Like this is start. What are we going to do to deal with this, to cover it up? Then Judah said to his brothers, uh, then, the, the, then they took Joseph's robe and they slaughtered a goat and they dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and they brought it to their father and they said, this is what we have found. Please identify whether it's your son's robe or not, right? What they're, what they're implying is this. Dad, we, man, we don't know. We haven't seen Joseph. But we were coming back from the sheep and man, this looks like it's his robe. And dad, I don't know what's going on, but it's got all this blood on it. Is it his? What they're implying, what they want to be read between the lines is that this animal attacked them or somebody else attacked them and Joseph is no more. And that's exactly what Joseph's dad, their dad, thought because we see that. He identified it, verse 33, and he said, it is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. They covered it up. They covered up what they did. Then look what happens. Then Jacob tore his garments and he put sackcloth on his loins and he mourned for his son many days. All of his sons and all of his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, no, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Jacob's dad and this Joseph's dad in this story, he, he bought the cover up, but man, he's devastated. Because they thought his teenage boy that he sent out to do this errand is dead. And here's the reality, the second thing, second question. Okay, so what else practically can we learn from this is this. <clears throat> Not only will faithful obedience lead to unfair persecution, but this. Disobedient people often live lives covering up and cause pain and sadness to the people around them. Disobedient people often live lives covering up and cause pain and sadness to the people around them. That's what Joseph's brothers did. Tried to cover it up. And the people who were most hurt, the people who had the most pain, were the people who were most closely linked with them. And this morning, if you're here in person, if you're listening online, if you click on this three weeks from now, if you're here this morning and if you're a Christian and if you're in a pattern of sin, God may be using this part of the story to try to get your attention. God may be using this part of the story to try to get your attention about this. And some of you right now may be thinking, ah, <clears throat> Peter, no, 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 hold on. Maybe the person across from me, maybe the person in Dothan, Alabama, who watches this virtually, yeah, maybe that's true for them. But some of you right now may be starting to phase this out because you're thinking to yourself, Peter, that doesn't apply to my story. You know why that doesn't apply to my story, Smith? You're thinking because nobody knows and nobody's ever going to get hurt. Nobody knows. 
dude across the room, yeah, that guy better listen to you, Peter. But me, I'm good. I got this under control. Nobody knows what I'm doing. Nobody's ever going to get hurt. But the pattern and the truth from this, and even if you don't believe in that, the pattern and the truth from life is you're lying to yourself. You're lying to yourself. Because here, what happens more... Now, do sometimes people get away with it? Sure. And do sometimes people not get hurt? Sure. But many times, do people find out? Yeah. And many times, do people get hurt? Yeah. And you shouldn't be living your life thinking you're the exception to that general rule when it comes to sin. And here's what tends to happen. This disobedience, right? First, it gave you freedom. You're good. It gave you escape. It gave you whatever. But then what starts happening is, right, then you spend more and more time trying to cover it up, trying to hide it. Because it's like, man, okay, I can't let anybody know about this. I can't let them find out. And so did they buy that lie? Did I destroy that document? Did anybody hear me make that phone call? Did anybody see that text or did I delete it in time? And you used to feel free, but now what's happening is you feel trapped by it because you're so worried that somebody's going to find out and so you're spending so much time trying to cover it up, which is causing you all this anxiety and all this stress. And one day, someday, what's probably going to happen is somebody is going to find out. And you're going to cause them pain and sadness. And they're probably going to be the people around you who care most deeply for you and who you care most deeply about. I'm not here to hit you over the head with a Bible. I don't know your story. <clears throat> but I know maybe God's got you here because he's trying to get you. To, he's trying to say, stop. Stop. You're not an exception to the rule. And if you keep walking the road, this will be your story. We've learned a few practical things about ourselves, right? A few practical takeaways. We've answered some questions. We've answered what point does Joseph's story have in a larger story? How do we understand Joseph? What practical things can we see? Uh, you know, a couple of things for ourselves. And then we're going to end with the challenge that I gave to us. And we're going to think about, okay, but what can we learn about God in this? What do we learn about God? First thing we can learn about God comes from a verse that we've already read. And we already read this verse in verses 15 through 17. But let me reread it for you. And Joseph is now making that trip to go try to track down his brothers in Shechem, right? And on that journey, this is what we see happen in verse 15. We already read it. I'm going to read around. And a man found him wandering in the fields, found Joseph. And the man asked him, what are you seeking? And Joseph says, I'm seeking my brothers. He said, tell me, please, where are they pasturing the flock? And the man said, they have gone away. For I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. Now understand what's going on. Old boy's taking this 60-mile trek, and he just so happens to meet some random dude in some random field. And that random dude in some random field happened to overhear part of the conversation between the people 
that Joseph's looking for. That random dude in that random field happened to not only overhear part of a conversation of the people that Joseph's looking for, but he happened to overhear the exact part of the conversation where those dudes are talking about where they're going. And then some random dude in some random field who happened to overhear a conversation with these people who happened to overhear part of these conversations then just so happens to run into Joseph as he's trying to find those people. And we think to himself, that are a whole lot of coinkadinks. Man, there's a lot of coincidences right there. Not their story, right? Those aren't coincidences. And what the narrator is doing in this moment, the narrator is taking like this, this Costco-sized crouton breadcrumb, this industrial 20-ton breadcrumb, and he is dropping it in the story right now. And he's dropping a breadcrumb of what we're going to track and walk throughout the story. And what he's teeing up and what he's teasing is this idea, something we learn about God, that behind the scenes, these weren't coincidences, but this was God working. So the random dude who had the random conversation of the random people, every single bit of it was God working behind the scenes. And in the future chapters... Even when Joseph doesn't see it, doesn't understand it, doesn't feel it, we're going to still keep tracking this breadcrumbs of God in it and God working behind the scenes in everything. And in your story and in my story today, God is at work to accomplish his purposes for his will in your story behind the scenes today. What's the first thing that we can learn about God? That God is always, always sovereignly at work in my life. And God is always sovereignly at work in your life. And when you wonder if he is, if you wonder what's he doing, remind yourself of that big old crouton that behind the scenes, when you doubt it, when you can't see it, that doesn't mean he's not doing it. God is always sovereignly at work behind the scenes. And the second truth about God. And the last point comes from the last verse that we haven't yet read. And here's a verse we haven't yet read. Verse 36. Meanwhile, the Ishmaelites had sold him, sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Potiphar, interesting dude, right? We've already read he's a captain of the guard. He's a captain of the pharaohs, of the governors, of the ruler of the empire, the king, right? Pharaoh is the dude who's in charge. He, he's the captain of his bodyguards. Potiphar actually is also the guy who's in charge of all the executioners in Egypt. And Joseph, who was a guy going through his normal day trying to make his dad happy, who got tossed into this pit, out of that pit was then pulled and taken as a slave, and he got positioned here. And from being positioned here, he's going to become and be on this trajectory of a bunch of ups and a bunch of downs to where God eventually leads him so that God can work through him in amazing ways. 
it is a roller coaster ride that we're going to start tracking next week. It ends in a place and God using him great ways, but there were a lot of highs and some incredibly deep lows. But that roller coaster ride launched from this. And you know what? <clears throat> in this story, the only way that Joseph got there was first by being in a pit. Here's the second truth we can learn about God is this that God leverages the pits in our life to accomplish his purposes for our life. God leverages the pits in our life to accomplish his purposes for our life. And I know that a lot of us have been, will be in, are going through some pits. And maybe, just maybe today, in the despair and the fear and the questions and the doubt, God will use these truths to give you some hope that he is always sovereignly at work behind the scenes in our lives and that he leverages the pits in our lives to give us and accomplish his purposes for our lives. Next week, we're going to do two things. We're going to track in kind of a, a summary, overview, fast glance, the, the up and the down and the up and the down of Joseph. There's this whirlwind, highs, and then the bottoms out in his life craters around him. But in those cratered moments, there are still two truths, a couple truths that we're going to hold to that were true for him. That's true for you and me. And we're going to track that cursorily and, and, and see, man, high point for Joseph, low point for Joseph. What did God do in that moment? How did God, Joseph cling to God? We're going to track his story. And then we're also going to have the opportunity as a, a community of faith to hear the story from somebody here. And the story of a family who this past year and their ups and downs were present in their life. That's not just a guy in the Bible a long time ago. It's, it's people here who have moments of highs and joys that are followed by moments of lows. And the question is, for you and I, when we go through those things, how do we try to cling to faith in the story? And the question is, is there any way that God can leverage that pit to use those moments so that we can be helped to try to bring comfort and healing and support to other people? Next week, we're going to try and track those two stories, and I'd love for you to be here. As I ask the worship team to come back here, though, here's some homework. Here's some homework. Genesis 40 through 47. Get your Bible, and uh, before next week, read through Genesis 40 through 47, and then you kind of come prepared with where the story's been, where the story's going, as we together summarize that. So I'm grateful you're here today. I pray that somehow God will use this truth, maybe not today. But maybe one day when life gets hard, you'll look back upon the points from this text and man, they will give you some comfort to continue to allow you to put one foot in front of the other when life is really, really hard. There's a God who loves you. There's a God who cares. There's a God who's at work behind the scenes of my life and your life, even when we can't see him. Father, thank you for that. Help us to have the strength to believe that, even when we don't feel that. Um, and thank you for your presence and the comfort that we can get from one another. So, Father, as we go out from this place 
And as we live our lives with the ups and the downs, Father, may we just continue to have the strength from your spirit to trust you and to cling to you and to believe in your character and your love. Amen.